Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. An entrepreneur's job is to create the future for the company. Mm. And that's working on the business, not in the business, which means you have to have the right operational team in place with the right infrastructure, the right software, the right systems and processes to make things work make the trains run while you look for other opportunities for growth. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast-growing technology companies retain talent and improve culture so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with Rich Russikoff. Rich is an internationally renowned speaker, serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, and coach to seven Ernest & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award winners and over 100 Inc. 500 Award winners. He's the author of How to Make Banks Compete to Lend You Money. I like that. Uh, People, Time, and Money, Inspiration, and Wisdom for Every Entrepreneur, Volumes 1 and 2, I should add. And uh, the chapter on bank financing in Vern Harnish's New York Times bestselling book, The Rockefeller Habits. Rich's articles have also appeared in CBS's on CBS Money Watch, CNN's Ask the Expert, and the Austin Business Journal. Rich, welcome to Nice. Thank you so much, and thank you for those kind words of introduction, Dave. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, so I always like to begin this with asking the question. What's the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Well, there's a client I was working with Mm. and I am working with that is looking to uh, do a merger uh, with another company. Mm. And I walked him through uh, the financial information we have and the balance sheet. And I said, let's be clear on what we're buying And once we know what we're buying, we can put together the right price for it. 
Mm -hmm. And he said, thank you, coach. <laughs> That's uh, pretty obvious, but most important, what am I buying? And therefore, what am I paying for? Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, it's amazing when you uh, slow down long enough and ask some questions that it helps to uh, kind of shed a light onto uh, or shine a light onto whatever it is that you're you're focused on, right? Thank you. Yeah. So we first met back, I think it was 2019, uh, when Mo and I or Mo connected with me, and, and then we 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 uh, connected together. Uh, what have you been working on since then? I know the new version of the the new volume of the book is out. Tell me a little bit about what's been happening. Well, uh, there is a, a methodology for setting goals by Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. The methodology is write down all your goals, then come back to them and look at the top five and eliminate everything else and focus on those five. So for me, this was an epiphany when I did this. Um, my top five are, I love to coach. So I want to continue coaching as long as I can. Mm -hmm. I love to write. And I only started writing in August of 2019. Wow. And I like to say, um, with my books, 50 years in the making, Mm -hmm. two years in the writing one day at a time because I do these as daily posts and then we find the best of the posts and we put them in the books people time and money and so another one of my goals coaching and writing and travel and experience financially being set so if something happens to me Mo is taken care of and then finally, building back muscle tone at mm. this stage of my life. So it really gave me clarity on what I want. So my next book is going to be a business fable. And it's basically a story from a client. And we're going to trace it back to the beginning of his entrepreneurial journey. And the story is going to be him telling his daughter, who just graduated from uh, college and wants to be a social entrepreneur, how he got so successful and sold his business and did so well. Mm. So the book is going to be called The Gift. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about the first 10 years raising capital key decisions he's made, hiring, open book management, overcoming uh, obstacles to his success, uh, identifying brutal facts and making changes, and uh, how he was able to capture the market share they have. So that'll be his story uh, to her. And uh, uh, it's Brett Hatton, and he's coming the last week of the month and we're going to put it all together. It should be fun. Oh, that's amazing. I love that idea. And I like the perspective of, of, of writing it for his daughter too. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love it. You mentioned one of the the goals too is is travel, and I remember some time ago you and Mo were uh, heading to uh, was it Louis Evans uh, Five Chairs Five Choices Transformational Retreat in uh, Florence. Uh, tell me, tell me about that experience. How was that? Well, Mo had been studying nonviolent communication mm-hmm. with Marshall Rosenberg, and it was a little bit too academic for me. And then she discovered five, um, five chairs, five choices, which uh, is a Louise Evans TEDx that she did that has close to 5 million viewers right now. Wow. And I finally figured out the process. Hmm. And we looked her up and we found that she was having a, um, a conference, a learning event in Tuscany, hmm. but it was booked. So Mo dogged her on all sorts of social media. She said, somebody's going to not show. May as well have our money and we'll be there. So she called us and we, you know, we bit the bullet. We took one for the team. We went to Tuscany for a week and then to Florence. (laughs) And um, it was an amazing experience. And Louise is terrific in terms of how she helps people work through challenges and issues and getting from blame to thinking about, okay, let's slow down. Let's get past blame. Either am I blaming you or blaming myself? And then getting to the question, what is it that I want? And Mm -hmm. then how do you frame that in a negotiable way to solve a problem with someone? Mm -hmm. So it's a phenomenal approach and her book, Five Chairs, Five Choices, is extraordinary. I'm going to include links to everything we talk about in the show notes, too, so folks can find uh, those reference points and, and, and check them out. What made the event stand out to you? You know, like I, I do, you know, workshops and training and, and I, 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 events a lot of the times. And I'm curious about making memorable events and and I know you've done events over the years too. What what are some ways that you've had maybe in, in her event or in other events that make them stand out and make them more memorable? Well, I've been very fortunate enough uh, to appear at the Entrepreneurial Master's Program at mm. MIT, an off-campus of MIT called the Endicott House, and 65 entrepreneurs from throughout the world attend and I've stayed with Mo for the three days and we've listened to phenomenal speakers. And then we've had meals every day with entrepreneurs from all over the world. Um, we met some people this time from Vietnam mm-hmm. and India and England. And there's a possibility we may be going over to those countries to speak. Oh, that's fantastic. So maybe adding, I guess, a focus of of making things international or at least, you know, encouraging an international audience is, is important. Well, we're very fortunate, David, that English is the language of business mm. internationally. Yeah. So I can go to Costa Rica or El Salvador and the entrepreneurs I work with speak English. Yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, very helpful. Who was someone that was especially nice to you in your career? 
there was a man, there is a man by the name of Nito Kubain, mm. who was in the International Speakers Hall of Fame. He was originally born in Bethlehem. He mm. attended High Point University. And when I started coaching, he said, I want to give you two pieces of advice. Never bill by the hour, bill by the project. Mm. So put the scope of work together so it's clear with a client and find yourself a client right off the bat that will pay your bills and then build from there. Mm. So I'm very appreciative of Nito for that. And I'm appreciative of the people of Inc. Magazine who introduced me to the Entrepreneurs Organization and I'd say, Dave, about 80 to 90% of the clients I work with are members of the EO network internationally. Yeah, I've had the great pleasure of speaking for uh, the entrepreneurs organization EO here in Nashville and, uh, and done some virtual stuff. And I'm going to be speaking at an event for them in Phoenix uh, in April. And uh, that's coming together right now. So we're still working on the details, but um, tell me a little bit, uh, you know, for, for our listeners who are not familiar with EO, can you tell, tell us a little bit about EO and how did you, you get connected with EO? I know, obviously you wrote Vern Harnish's uh, chapter on, on finance, uh, or, you know, on money in the, uh, in Rockefeller habits. Is that how that came to be? Or I was very fortunate early hmm. on to meet the people that were in charge of Inc. Magazine's coaching division. Hmm. And I spoke uh, back in those days at virtually all the Inc. conferences. And one day I got a call from um, Linda Burton, who said, Rich, there's this Entrepreneur's Master's Program, and we're one of the sponsors of it. And last year, our speaker sucked. So, <laughs> Uh, if we don't do a good job this year, we lose the spot. Mm. No pressure, Rich. <laughs> and that's that's how I met Vern. Uh, okay. That's how I started working with entrepreneurs. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Randy Nelson. Mm. Uh, Randy wrote a book called The Second Decision, which is once you develop your business and get it to a certain point, should you be the CEO? And Randy mm. was my first client. And uh, I've been working uh, with people in the EO network for over 20 years as a result. Oh, that's fascinating. Actually, okay. it's... Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, uh, I had Brian Rowland on my, on, on my podcast uh, a couple episodes back. And he was talking about being the CEO of, of his company. And after 13 years, firing himself. Uh, and never looking back, like it's always, it's been, it was a great, uh, a great decision to make. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that if I, thank you. I don't know if I fully answered your question. Yeah, please because, continue. Um, first of all, you have to have revenue of a million dollars or more. Right. And secondly, you go through a vetting process and you can join a chapter anywhere in the world. And there are, are at least 10,000 members of EO all over the globe, mm. from Africa to Nepal to um, Saigon 
to uh, you name it, um, they're there. I have two clients right now, one in Costa Rica and one in El Salvador. Uh, nice. Yeah, EO is pretty fascinating that way. I mean, it is it, it is such a great uh, group, a great organization. And, and yeah, as you said, I mean, they have a vast network for sure. How has networking played a role in your career? I would say without networking, uh, I couldn't pay the bills. Yeah. Uh, virtually every client I'm working with right now has been from a referral. Mm. And one client leads to the next. So, for example, I um, am working with a new client in Los Angeles. And um, one of my clients in Los Angeles re recommended me to him. That client was recommended to me by a client in Costa Rica who mm. was recommended to me by Hazel Ortega out of um, EOLA. So huh. during the pandemic, when no one was traveling, um, I had, and I still have a very large client base that all came from referrals. Hmm. And there's a couple more I forgot to mention, but you get the point. Yeah. Do you, as far as referrals go, is this something that you have a system in place for seeking out and receiving uh, or is it just like off the cuff? Like, do you actually have a process for asking for referrals? No, I don't ask for referrals. Right. Uh, they, they come my way because clients are happy mm -hmm. and they recommend me to a friend or someone else. So right now, for example, I'm going to take a peek at my whiteboard yeah. I have one, two, three, four potential clients right. from referrals. And we're just going to go through a system to see whether or not they're a good fit or not. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's great. I mean, that's ideally what we all want. What about during those quieter times, you know, the, those lulls in business? Are, are, what, what do you do? Or what have you seen done successfully to help uh, build business, you know, get, get new clients and so forth? Well, I think the CEO's job is to grow the company. Mm -hmm. uh, I love uh, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix philosophy, which is I don't solve problems. I create the future. Yeah. And an entrepreneur's job is to create the future for the company. Mm. And that's working on the business, not in the business, which means you have to have the right operational team in place with the right infrastructure, the right software, the right systems and processes to make things work, make the trains run while you look for other opportunities for growth. I, I like to say, that a CEO is in the hiring, requiring, inspiring, firing, training, and communications business. Yeah. yeah. So it's key that you be a great communicator. And that's, um, that's continuing to grow all the time because communications can be hard. It's mm -hmm. hard sometimes to delegate. Uh, I was on a call this morning with a new client. 
and we were doing a huddle, <coughs> excuse me. And one of the people in the huddle just took over a position and the CEO berated him for not knowing what he hadn't been trained to know. Mm. So I have a call with him later on today and I'm gonna say, praise in public, criticize in private. Yes. And see this as a, otherwise see it as a teaching moment for everyone. But if it becomes the blame game, then people are afraid to share with you. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, this is a lot of uh, what I talk about with this nice methodology framework that I haven't even shared with you because we haven't talked in a while, but um, but about eliminating or at least reducing workplace uh, fear of management and leadership and being able to provide honest feedback, but doing it discreetly and, and also recognizing your best people. I think that's something that is often overlooked. Do you find that too? Yes. Um, I just had an epiphany on that about yeah. uh, a month ago when I wrote a post on it. The old framework in corporations and in government and in all sorts of institutions was jokingly that uh people get promoted until they reach the highest level of incompetency, which is <laughs> called the Peter Principle. Ah. The new approach is find out what people do exceptionally well, what they love to do, and put them in the right seat. And things that will help you like predictive index or cultural index or discs to find out what somebody does really well prevents you from setting someone up for failure. Mm. And one of my favorite quotes is from Albert Einstein, who said that um, everybody has a genius in them. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, the fish will always feel stupid. Right. <laughs> He had a way with his words, didn't he? <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, so, but the message is find people's zone of genius. Don't set them up for failure. Don't give them something they're really good and something they're not as good on hmm. because then they can't focus on where they excel and also make sure that they have the bandwidth to do what needs to be done. Mm. Or again, people burn out. And when people burn out, they leave the company. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So this fits into uh, something I've heard you speak about before, which is the zone of incompetence versus the zone of genius. And yes, and the zone of incompetence, I, I recall you uh, in a presentation I watched a while back that you, you were talking about yourself as a car, as a car mechanic or a car expert. Uh, <laughs> well, you, yeah. David, like, you do not want me to change your spark plugs. <laughs> so, so that's zone of incompetence. Right. Zone of competence, you're okay at, mm-hmm. but you're not exceptional. Right. I'm an okay driver, but I'm not an exceptional driver. Mm-hmm zone of excellence is you're really good at it, Mm -hmm. but you don't love it. 
It doesn't turn you on fire. It doesn't, it's not something you would do whether you were paid or not. Right. So the trick is to escape that zone of excellence and get to the zone of genius, which is something you really excel at, that you love doing. Time stands still while you're doing it. You're creative. And while you're in that space, you can't be in drama. Yeah. My zone of genius, I think, is is being on stage, delivering keynotes and presentations, interacting with the audience and with companies, and 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 also doing workshops and training them in person, you know, as well. And my challenge is always business development. It's always like, oh, where do I find the next client? And and what what advice do you have for me there? And I'm also like, a, for the most part, I'm a solopreneur. So, you know, I, I do have people in my network uh, who, you know, I, I'll outsource, you know, work to when need be, but for the most part, I'm, I'm doing it myself. So yeah. Any, any ideas there? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I would find somebody who can market you mm-hmm. and they get a salary Yeah, and they get a spiff every time you get booked. Mm. And basically, you can create a target list of who might be interested in you, and they make the contacts, do the follow-up, and then bring you in to close. So, yeah, so hiring hiring a, a, a sales marketing person. Yes. It's good. Yeah, it's good advice. It's something that I've considered doing and, and yeah, haven't done, but it's something I need to do. Because otherwise, you really don't have the bandwidth, or it's not in your zone of genius. And we have somebody that works with us, who also works with another client of mine. And her zone of genius is marketing. And as a result of her marketing efforts, um, my book has become a number one bestseller on Amazon. It wouldn't have happened without her. So finding those right people and congratulations, by the way, that's a huge thing. It's all algorithms. <laughs> yeah. The, these days. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a big part of it, but yeah, it's this game you have to play. You know, you, uh, something I found interesting is you talked about like the five principles of creating a world of opportunity uh, and those five being uh, sending out your ships, which I love uh, preparation and opportunity equals success uh, problems are the fertile soil from which opportunities emerge. Opportunities are everywhere. And the greatest opportunities are within us. Pay it forward and then never burn bridges. Tell me uh, like how you came up with this. And maybe maybe we can drill down on some of these sections a little. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today 
We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Well, to succeed as an entrepreneur, you have to have a nose for opportunity mm-hmm. and be looking for opportunities. So the first one, send out your ships, is... Do some nibbles, do some research, find something, travel, and say, I can bring that back to wherever. And so, for example, this book I'm going to write, which is a business fable. I've never written a business fable before. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've read five of them, but I see an opportunity there. And, uh, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity. So one of my goals is continuing to write. So I'll always be writing every day and turning, leveraging them into books Mm. and into columns and however I can. So that's key. Proper preparation is about You know, there's an old saying that the people that have luck are the ones that work the hardest. Mm. Uh, It's not not luck. It's being ready when the opportunity comes about. Mm. And uh, I think that's a a very important thing um, to set yourself up. So when you see an opportunity, you can take advantage of it. Or you do a presentation and somebody hires you to do another presentation from word of mouth. Uh, So what are the other three on the list? And we'll talk about them. There's uh, problems are the fertile soil from which opportunities emerge. Yes, yes. And basically great entrepreneurs or inventors are problem solvers. Yeah. And sometimes there are things like, oh, I forgot we're not, on video, I just brought up my phone. Right. What an incredible opportunity was created there. What an incredible opportunity someone created when they did Airbnb for the first time. And it was sharing homes and uh, Uber. And many times opportunities are disruptive. Mm. They changed the game. 10 years ago, I would go to Borders Books to buy a book. Yeah. Now I go on Amazon and yeah. 85% of the books are sold on Amazon. Now there'll be a disruptor at some point and that'll change that. So uh, that's part of having opportunity awareness. And I want to go to the fifth one. The greatest opportunities are within. It's recognizing that you can be um, someone who creates the future, someone Mm. makes the right choices so that uh, you can turn, um, well, let me give you an example. I used to sell businesses with buyers and sellers and I saw buyers buy lemons and turn them into lemonade. Mm. And I saw them buy lemonade and turn them into lemons. Mm. So it's 
within you, what do you do? Are you looking to grow? Are you a lifetime learner? Are you a calculated risk taker? Do you build relationships with people so that there's trust, so there's opportunities to get capital when you grow? So it's who you are, because ultimately, if you're looking for funding, the bank or the investor is buying you. Mm. And so are you worthy? Have you done the right things? There was one more on that list. Well, there's two, but they actually put, they fit into what you're just talking about, which is pay it forward and never burn bridges. <laughs> I am a huge believer in play it forward, pay yeah. it forward. And I don't pay it forward with the idea that there's going to be a return. Yeah. Uh, but it always comes back. It always comes back positive. Not with everyone, but it doesn't have to be with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the essence of networking nicely is what, what I write a lot about, which is, you know, I, um, there's a book I read a few years back called the diamond cutter or the diamond. Yeah. Diamond cutter. And it was a fascinating book about a, a Buddhist monk who takes over a jeweler in New York and, to, and, and brings it to, you know, huge success based on Buddhist philosophies. And part of that is, uh, you know, talking about, you know, call it karma or what have you, but, but he talks about planting seeds and how, you know, that, that same idea of like paying it forward, planting those seeds um, and, and letting those relationships grow over time uh, is the best way to manage that. Yeah, and you, you always, uh, I believe giving and receiving are the same. Mm. Uh, and part of that means you need to be able to receive so others can give. Mm, I like that. And then never burning bridges, which I think probably pretty self-explanatory. I mean, I, I would hope people understand that one. You know, it's sad when they don't. Uh, we had a relationship with someone who I had coached, and then we were looking to start a business relationship together. Mm. And he moved on, and he had uh, he had invested twenty five hundred dollars in helping to get the organization off the ground with attorneys and other things like that. Mm. And one day, he sent me an email saying, I'm glad to see the business is doing so well. I'd like my 2,500 back. Oh. And, and I said to him, wait a second. When we, you gave me that money as you left, you said you didn't want it back. Hmm. And he wrote me a text that had three words in it. Wow. Oh, wow. Hmm. And that burned the bridge. Mm -hmm. I sent him the email he sent with the 2,500 to remind him of that. Yeah. And that ended the relationship. It didn't have to. It's such a shame when that happens. And, and yeah, I've had it happen myself and yeah, it's, yeah, it's just such a shame. It's also where you live too, I think, is is part of this as far as burning bridges where, you know, I was talking to somebody recently, like Nashville is such a popular city and it's growing so much and all these things. And I've been here for 15 years, but I was reminding them that, 
this town ain't that big. <laughs> I mean, it's still not that big after 15 years, even though it is growing astronomically, but at the same time, you know, it it's, you know, burning bridges, it's, it's just going to come back and bite you. No matter, I don't think you can live even in New York or LA or London or wherever. I, I still think, uh, yeah, burning bridges will just come back and, and bite you at the end. Sooner or later, it catches up to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it gets back to values. When your values are clear, your decisions are easy. Uh, Roy Disney is the one that's attributed with that, uh, Walt's brother. um, um, I think that's very true. You have to live by your values. What are some ways to determine your values? Let's say you're starting out in entrepreneurship and, you know, what, what are, what are some, are there exercises you recommend in determining what those values are? I think almost like a personality assessment. I think a lot of times we know what our strengths are uh, and, and, and those assessments help to, to, you know, bring a light on them to say, Oh, okay. Yes. You know, and maybe help you articulate them better, but tell me a little bit about the values. Well, let me start with two. Yeah. The word is my bond. Yes. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm mm-hmm. going to follow through. I made an, a commitment to someone. So you always follow through. Uh, you know, like we might get off the call and I'll say, Dave, it's been great talking to you. Let's talk in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And that can either be, hey, let's talk in a couple of weeks or some sort of language of, Fine talking to you. I'm not going to follow through, and you're probably not, but we'll pretend we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm yeah, I love I love that. And yeah, I'm always such a stickler on stuff like that. Like when you yeah, when you agree on something, just yeah, yeah. To, so for example, for me, um I have a task list in notes mm-hmm. where anytime I make a promise. I put it in my task list and it's my administrative assistance job to keep my promises. Yeah. I and, like that. And that way they get kept. I use, um, I use a software uh, uh, called boomerang, uh, which I'm not affiliated with, but it's great because it returns emails to the top of my inbox uh, to remind me, like if I, if I send you an email and say, you know, okay, I'll follow up with you in two weeks. I'll, I'll make that email reappear in two weeks. So I'll be like, ha, I've got to follow up. So yeah, yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely helps a lot. Um, t- so tell me a little bit about the new book. Uh, cause it just came out in July. It hit number one. So, uh, tell me, tell me all about it. And I know it's volume two, but let's, let's, let's dig into that a little. So I write three original posts a week Mm -hmm. and then I have a guest author and then I do best of food for thought where I go back and I recapture a post and I kick it up to another gear for example today's post was about my being in New York working with a client uh, who was in the fire flood soot and restoration business during 9-11 and how they immediately needed to shift gears because they were down at ground zero for six months. Mm. And tomorrow's post is going to be about midnight 
January, uh, and excuse me, September 11th, I'm jogging in the middle of Park Avenue because there's no traffic allowed below 42nd. And I meet a woman standing on the corner looking bewildered. And she said to me, I work for Lincoln. Lincoln was one of the sponsors of the Forest Hills tennis tournament, which just ended same time every year. And we had a gala blank banquet the night before. And my boss said, you don't have to go come in early to her 9-11 office. Mm. And she's wandering on the streets. Why am I alive? Everything that's in that building is gone. Mm. Is Lincoln going to build back again? How did this happen? So it's a dramatic post. And I'm always looking for stories. That's opportunities to write about. I was just working with a client who sold his business and we were having a conversation and he shared that there's a philosophy called put your mask on first. So you're on an airplane. They say, before you put the mask on your child, put your mask on yourself. And what he said is, if you look at your stakeholders, your first stakeholders are the people that work for you. Your second stakeholders are your customers. And your third are your investors or where your profit is, not the other way around. Yeah. So, so that's that's a brilliant subject for a post. Uh, that is a great subject for a post. Tell me a little bit about the post too, because I get them through my email. Uh, do you also post them online as well, or are they primarily in email? Here's what we do. Here's what we do. We take uh, one post a week and we put it on uh, LinkedIn. Do you do it as like a LinkedIn article? I do it just the way the post is as an article, yes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And have you, what kind of feedback have you received from those? Um, we get a lot of feedback from LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, there, I don't know if you know, David, uh, if you know Brian Brewald, who's very well known in the entrepreneur community. Yeah. If I write a post, all my posts go out at six in the morning yeah. and it's scheduled to, uh, by six 30, I may hear from Brian saying what he liked about a post. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, someone out of the blue will respond to a post because it really touched them. It hit a nerve or it was something that they were dealing with at a given moment. So my posts are about business and about life and about being the best you can be. You talked about in uh, that, you know, you, you first started writing books in 2019, um, but you've, you've obviously you know, you, you love writing. Did you write before that? I mean, before the books started coming out, I mean, or journaling or. or... Not really. That's fascinating. Uh, the, the way this evolved, David, is I started sending out quotes to a list of people. And then I started doing a commentary on the post, on the quotes. And the next yeah. thing I knew, I started writing them. And we have a core list of about 250 people. Yeah. That get 
my posts on a daily basis. Yeah. And what I like to say is 50 years in the making, three years in the writing, one day at a time. Yeah. And that's how we put them together. And even, for example, this book that I'm going to do, this fable, I've already written posts that cover some of the subject matter. Mm. So I'll just go back to that. When, uh, when uh, Brett is here at the end of the month and we start writing the book. Yeah. But, you know, I, I was asked on one of the interviews, what would have been different if you would have written your first book 30 years ago? And my answer is, I couldn't have. There wasn't spell check. There wasn't <laughs> Grammarly. There, there wasn't Google, which mm. is invaluable to get instant quotes, instant history, instant facts and references, all these things together, writing every day yeah. have helped to make me in my zone of genius as a writer from being in the zone of excellence. And it's evolved. How has it evolved? I'm a better writer. I yeah. know how to tell a story. I don't put six quotes in a post. I yeah. put one in the beginning and one in the end. I don't yeah. write 800 word posts. I write a post with a clear message, with a concept, and I'm out by 550 words because that's how people read today. So the book is made up of 60 some posts. Mm. I think are good. And you can read one post a day. You don't have to read it like you would read a novel and get the nugget from that. Yeah. It's a great format. And you're right. I mean, today, you know, people are looking for, for shorter, uh, shorter things a lot of the time. So it, it makes a lot of sense that way. It's a great format. And I'm glad like that. Yeah. I didn't realize at the time when we first met in 2019, uh, and I, you know, I started getting your emails too. And, and so I've seen, I've seen that evolution as well. And it's been pretty cool to, to watch. And you're definitely somebody that, you know, whose insights I respect a lot and yeah. And your, your experiences and things. So it's great that you're sharing that. And something else that we've done, mm. um, my wife, Mo, who you mentioned, yeah. uh, connected us with some people in Ireland who were mm. editors and writers and there's a lady by the name of Gina Kinney, who, when I write my post, at the end of the day, I put it in draft. She comes in and she corrects spelling errors because her, that's her zone of genius. Yeah. She, uh, she makes the grammar right. Yeah. She'll kick it to another gear. And we've almost become collaborators. Oh, neat. And it's interesting to have an editor and then see what the editor did with the post. Is, uh, are you using like a Google Docs for that where you can comment on things to one another? Well, what I do is I'll send her a WhatsApp message mm -hmm. about a post and something I want to change. And then she'll talk about the program or what changes she made. So it's a wonderful thing to have a collaborator like that whose this zone of genius complements mine. I'm a storyteller. She knows how to make it so I don't embarrass myself. Right. 
<laughs> I know I look at my uh, old blog posts and it's, yeah, they're, they're pretty embarrassing. I have to say. Uh, and, and also, yeah, just because of grammar and my rambling <laughs> for sure. Um, so that's, that's great. Well, and I, I'm trying to get back over to Ireland, so I'll have to go over and say hello. <laughs> Maybe she could correct my spelling along the way. Um, so tell me what, and I, I want to hear a little bit before, you know, I'm going to wind this down and jump into the uh, the lightning round, but tell me a little bit about your origin story. Like how did, where did, where did you grow up and, and tell me a little bit about your parents, what they, what they did. And yeah, I grew up in Philadelphia. Okay. My parents were in the dry cleaning business. My mother majored in accounting in college in the mm-hmm. 1940s with one other woman in the department. And the dean called them in the office and said, you ladies are doing so well, but there's no opportunities for women in accounting. And they both said, thank you very much, stayed in it. They had wonderful careers. Uh. So she was a bookkeeper for a dry cleaner. And mm-hmm. my parents started their business with a drop store, which means uh, that you took the cleaning and gave it to someone else to do the wholesale. And they grew a small empire in Philadelphia in the dry cleaning business. And I worked for them every weekend and every summer and every holiday until I reached a certain age. And they gave me an understanding of how to run a business how to treat people, how to have integrity. Um, They gave me a work ethic. Mm. So I started my first business on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, uh, which was a jewelry and gift store, which Mm. I ran for nine years. And uh, I learned so much and we developed a community there. And then after I sold it, I was interested in how businesses changed hands So I joined a business brokerage franchise, and that's where I saw um, buyers buy lemons and turn them into lemonade and buy lemonade and turn them into lemons. And it was the key decision. It wasn't the business so much, but was the management. And then I went on my own and I started coaching and I hooked up with Inc. And then Inc. opened so many doors for me including uh, my relationship with the Entrepreneurs uh, Master's Program and the EO Network in general. I love how it all connects, you know, and you can look back and follow the story. It's always an interesting thing. Yeah, and uh, there's chapters along the way. And now there's the chapter of writing and putting yeah. it all together and yeah. sharing lessons learned. For example, um, I had a client I was on the phone with, she went to Europe and while she was there, her home flooded. Mm. So she was living in a rented space. And I said, has the insurance company paid you any money yet? And she said, "Uh, no. I said, please get a lawyer to read your contract and protect you because it's the adjuster's job to beat you up. Mm-hmm. And I told stories about a break-in I had in my business and a shoulder replacement and how having legal representation was able to help me get what I should have gotten as a result in the settlement. So suddenly I have a post on that. Mm-hmm. And that was one day last week by way of example. Uh, that's great. 
All right. Well, I'm going to move to the lightning round so I can be respectful of your time here. So complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. Nice guys finish within the fulfillment of their self and uh, the, the, the joy that comes from great relationships of trust. I love that. That's awesome. What's a nice book that you recommend the nice makers listening read? Um, it might surprise you. The book is called Zen Guitar by Philip Dojo Asuto. And he uses picking up and playing the guitar as a dojo. And it takes you through all aspects of life. And it's beautifully written. And it's Zen philosophy. I love it. I'm definitely going to check that out. How is Rich nice to himself? Well, I'm nice to myself. I love to cook. I love to eat. <coughs> so on a Saturday, I'll go buy the food for the week. And then I will cook up a wonderful meal. And I get instant gratification. So cooking is in my zone of genius. And that's one way I'm really nice to myself. I love music. So I'm nice to myself by listening to music. And I love giving. And that's another way that I'm nice to myself. What kind of music do you like? Um, oh, I am eclectic. Uh, I like anything from the American songbook to rock and roll, to the blues, to a little bit of uh, opera, um, uh, Claude Debussy and things like Claire de Lune. Yeah. Uh, anything from Harry Nielsen to Leonard Cohen uh, to Joan Baez. Uh, uh, I go to the Grateful Dead. I go the gamut. Yeah, I love it. That's a great, uh, great mix of stuff. Um, if you had a billboard, what would it say? Don't believe everything you think. <laughs> Rich, this has been such a pleasure. How can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you do? Uh, well, rich at coach to the best.com mm -hmm. all words uh or go to my website go to the coach to the best.com great and i'll make sure to include links to everything in the show notes so folks can connect with you it has been an absolute honor and it's just so nice to catch up with you thank you for for your time and your insights david you are a terrific interviewer Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I would love to include your voice on the show. If you have comments or questions regarding this episode or any episode, whether you might have some nice communications tips of your own, visit friend.nicepodcast.co. There you can record an audio comment and I expect you'll hear it on an upcoming episode. Theme song is Little Jane May, and the end song is Funny Feeling by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. And we'll see you next time. Be nice.
You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.